Well, we had to start with a little bit of Michael Jackson for sure. For sure, for sure, for sure. So I have been extremely busy since a very wee hours, <laughs> the very wee hours of this morning. And I'm, you know, I'm feeling super feisty today. So today I will be hosting my Lemmy. I think it'll be Grifter 101. No, Losers 101. I don't know how I want to title it, but they're in panic because they know I'm coming. So uh, uh, having said that, because I'm feeling feisty and I feel like I need to do this. I actually do. I wanted to say, well, I did tell you that he was going to get indicted. I did tell you he was going to get raided. I did tell you all of this stuff last year before he was even raided. But you know, other people are great <laughs> at giving you intelligence and telling you what's happening uh, because you know, because you know, <laughs> I mean, we really need to get to the nitty gritty of it because I'm tired of it. And you don't have to be concerned about the president. He's just fine. There's nothing happening there. And it's so funny. Here in Florida, have you seen the judges there? Have you seen who the judge is and who's he associated with and what NGOs fund some, I don't know, weird shit he does? You know, it's okay. It is totally okay. And he's fine. It's totally fine. But you know, I am going to do a Twitter space. And you know what? I'm not going to talk shit about someone without tagging them, of course. But you know, most of the losers, they block me, right? Because they're terrified that I'm going to call them out. And so I think it's time that I start tearing shit up because I'm feisty today. I'm extremely feisty. Feisty not only for the losers that play media, that have you going down tons of rabbit holes when they're... At, uh, three things that we need to target, right? They're all doing their own spiel, right? Their own spiel. And, you know, apparently they're important. So I'll tag each and every one of them and I'd love to have them on to talk. I'd like them to tell me how, you know, they have inside information or how, you know, they have all this knowledge, right? Because it's bullshit knowledge. They're recycling all the shit that I've put out for <laughs> since fucking 2015. <laughs> and, you know, and if I can't tag them, the people on the Twitter space will tag them for me because I think it's about time we trim the fat. And um, having said that, uh, I guess my extra feistiness is, you know, this morning at 5 a.m., I'm reading, you know, developments and I'm just like, what the hell is going on? DHS should be speaking Chinese. In Georgia, I know most of you already got the memo. I, I, I believe you did. I hope you did. But we're the devil's coming down to Georgia and we're going to be playing some fiddles because, you know, the other indictment, well, we need to ping it back in their face. And I think it's about time. And it's really stressful, you guys. Like I said, for me, it's an extremely stressful time. But you know what? God has kind of eased me in a weird way by bringing, you know, specific people you know, around me that have been able to pacify me and compartmentalize, uh, I guess, my time in the right way. So, uh, um, you know, I, I want to go down to Georgia now, but it's going to have to be right after Phoebe deploys for the Marine Corps. And, you know, all of that is happening within 48 hours. I think I'm going to lose my mind. Um, 
having to, you know, have all that happen over one weekend and then move, um, you know, in regards to work, because we've got July is all our low period. This is where we strike back and then Congress takes a break. And, you know, I, I have to tell you that this morning speaking with some chief of staff and staffers for congressional hearings, I was like, you know what, this congressional hearing has to happen. This one has to happen. But I think we need to go another way. And so um, I have to say, um, you know, I'm really feisty. Uh, more so with the stupid reporting. It's just ridiculous reactive reporting. It's almost as if, you know, John Brennan and his team of losers like Hayden and Clapper and all of them are giving directions, you know, and, and that's another thing. What people don't see is the connections. So today we need to see these connections, right? So that we can understand because one of the biggest centers of issues that we have right now as a nation that is plaguing us aside from them, you know, they're elevating President Trump to martyr status and uh, that's perfect. You know, that's perfect. Okay. Um, perfect is fine, right? Because we want that. We want them to uh, have reactive reporting, right? And we also want them <laughs> to elevate President Trump to um, save your status. And uh, I can tell you something that uh, um, there are people that you don't even know their name. You don't that are fighting for the people like nobody's business. And, you know, a lot of people that you think will be part of President Trump's administration because you see them flanking the ranks and everything, they're not, right? Because this isn't just a time where we are completely draining the swamp, right? This is a time that we see uh, people that are really conducting service for the people. Like I said, Jim Jordan's not on your side. I'm, I'm going to restate that shit. He's not on your side. Okay. Um, so uh, having said that, um, you know, that kind of pacifies me. It's like me sucking my thumb, right? Uh, when I, when I uh, you know, see things that irritate the shit out of me, uh, you know, that I know that there are very good people uh, working really hard and I have a very good parlay with issues of national security that terrify me only because no one in our press is talking about it. And so, you know, this is, this is why I'm extra salty. They're all going down stupid ass rabbit holes talking about stupid ass shit. They're bringing up the Erickson shit. Like nobody gives a shit. That was old news, right? You can't talk about EIP. You can't talk about, you know, Erickson reports and all this stuff, right? And then go down different, you know, rabbit holes with it and distract the populace from what they need to do. We need to be laser freaking focused. In Georgia, we're going to be so laser focused. We're going to enjoy the fact that Georgia Supreme Court gave us the in. And it's going to be fantastic, right? We're going to be laser focused, laser focused that's what we have to do. And today I'm going to introduce you to the most atrocious, smallest division of intelligence that is. And they cause the most trouble you see happening. And you know what's funny? Clearance Jobs actually did a short 
introducing that. So we're going to start with that because, uh, you know, as, as I, as I go through things, I, I want to say, this is basically it. There are high ranking officials from our state department office currently in there and from before. And, and let's speak specifically our state department, our head of state department, the secretary of state Blinken, right? And the DNI, well, you know, she is also, they've established, okay, let me rephrase. Anthony Blinken had co-founded a consulting firm, or um, I would like to say a shell company, right? And that shell company call is called West Exec. Now, this is extremely disheartening and alarming considering that the DNI, the, the ODNI right now, the, the DNI, the head of the, the, the director of national intelligence, that cow worked with that company when it was established in 2017. And guess what? Where its location is. It's like flanking the White House, like literally. And all the usual suspects or members or people that are in Biden's administration, right, are actually former members. And not only that, they have foreign, uh, you know, locations. So like John Brennan's really pushing on the crown. Has to do with Assange, I'm pretty sure. And the disinformation, pretty sure. So, you know, this is, this is really hard because we, as the citizens of this nation, possess an unwavering spirit and an unyielding commitment to the principles upon which our country was founded. So when you realize that the co-founder of this firm is a secretary of state, and if you actually see the people that are part of it, people that have been appointed to it, the, the, the interconnections they have, I mean, you will find McChrystal, Hayden, Brennan, Clapper, freaking everybody and their mother that was part of Russia hoax and Ukraine hoax, all part of the same stupid feeding companies, you know, like General Wesley Clark. We need to strip him of his medals for sure. But we have to remember that um, no individual, regardless of their office or past affiliations, is above the law. And our justice system serves as the bedrock of our republic. And we must trust in its ability to address the potential improprieties and violations. See, I've said this many, many times. When they come after you and you've done nothing wrong, they dig their own hole. I mean, you know, even today, and I know they're pissed. First person on the chat was a troll. I kid you not. Then they paid $5 to troll me. I've already... I can have access to that, you know, if I want to. I could just ask, right? See, they know it's coming. We're confronted, right, with the CIA director, former CIA director, John Brennan, to influence operations in the UK. It's a breach of trust, an affront to our constitutional republic principles. We as a people have to stand united and demand transparency, independent investigations, and full accountability from our government. And we have to ensure that our intelligence agency, <laughs> which would include the State Department, 
and all branches of government are working tirelessly to protect the interests and values of the American people. But uh, you know what? As, 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 as today is approaching, it is a final day. It's a final day for someone to apply for a grant. Um, I see that while the government is claiming that the CCP is a problem, right? The State Department recruiting private organizations, non-governmental entities, right? To work in Eastern Europe, right? That they have approved vendors for their communications, their surveillance, and everything. Do you want to hear what these uh, approved vendors are? I can tell you their names. You want to hear it? Huawei, right? Yeah, Huawei is approved as a technology vendor for work to collect intelligence and analyze intelligence for the State Department. Not only that, but everything else, you know, we have so many companies that have faltered us and apparently are a problem. So the question that should lie to actual DHS and say, why aren't you doing your job? I'm so tired of people not doing their job. Oh, and you think I'm just blowing smoke. I can share the document with you. Because, see, that is the problem, that we do not read anymore. People do not read anymore. They believe that they know what they're talking about because, I don't know, they had some guy as a guest on their show or they're affiliated with, I don't know, this person and a general. Bitches, I break bread with people that are higher standard than that. And yet I don't sit there and demand that people listen to me. The U.S. Department of State Bureau of Intelligence Research gave a notice for a funding opportunity for a program of, for the study of Eastern Europe and the independent states of the former Soviet Union, Ukraine. Right? Huh. And so the deadline is today where people can apply. But I want you guys to see. Hold on. Let me, let me, let me pull it up for you so you can see it. I'm not just saying it. You need to see it. It's pure insanity. Okay. And, and what's weird is that it seems that covered telecommunication equipments are telecommunication equipment produced by Aventura Technologies. You know, the one we rated for leaking information to the CCP in 2019 under Trump. Now they're an accepted technology, uh, according to Anthony Blinken, you know, who's, who speaks Chinese as a first language. Huawei Technologies, ZTE Corporation, or any subsidiary or affiliate of such entities is approved. Oh, oh, Tori, that's not true. Because look, they're saying that we can't use TikTok and that China's a threat. Let me show you. Let me show you just how stupid this is. Because I'm, I'm extremely tired of bad, bad, bad reporting and misdirection more than anything. So here is the procurement announcement. Okay. Gosh. Annoys me just looking at it. Okay, I'm just, I'm going to be straightforward with you. It's super annoying just watching this. All right. So this is from the INR. <laughs> Bureau of Intelligence and Research is called INR. That's like super CIA. It's the most disgusting black hole ever. So as you can see, it's for independent states. They say that they're going to give about 2 million 
that they have availability. They want 501c3s. I mean, I'm pretty sure Soros is getting some of that, right? But you know, there's more than that. But let me show you the part where they talk about what's going on and what technology you can use. Listen to this. Russia's ongoing hostilities in Ukraine and the COVID-19 pandemic may impact domestic and study abroad research and foreign language study programs. Many travel advisories and social distancing restrictions remain due to the evolving nature of COVID-19 pandemic and the uncertainty of Russia-Ukraine conflict. Applicants should ensure proposals and budgets address online and in-person programs, personnel, and operating costs necessary to implement the award for the entire period of performance. Here's where they want it done. Albania, Armenia, Azerbaijan, Belarus, Bosnia, and Herzegovina, Bulgaria, Croatia, Czech Republic, Estonia, Georgia, Hungary, Kazakhstan, Kosovo, Kyrgyzstan, um, Kyrgyzstan, sorry, uh, Latvia, Lithuania, North Macedonia, Moldova, Montenegro, Poland, Romania, Russia, Serbia, Slovakia, Slovenia, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan, Ukraine, and Uzbekistan. <laughs> So they took on all Eastern Europe and the Balkans and obviously we have to have them and Kazakhstan, we have to have them. So that is where they're giving Title Eight funds of $2 million. And this is what the awards that they expect and where they're going to work and what they're going to do. Now let's go to the electronic equipment. So John S. McCain National Defense Authorization Act, which is a law created by the 115th Congress, said non-federal entities are prohibited from obligating or expending grant funds for covered telecommunications equipments or services to procure, obtain, or extend, and renew, enter into a contract, or obtain the equipment. Covered telecommunications equipments and services mean any of the following. Telecommunications equipment produced by Aventura Technologies, Huawei Technologies Company, ZTE Corporation, for the purposes of public safety and security of government facilities, physical security, surveillance of critical infrastructure and other national security purposes, video surveillance and telecommunication equipment produced by Hitera Communication Corporation, Hangzhou Hikvision, <laughs> Digital Technology Company, and Dahua Technology Company. Are you paying attention? Are you paying attention? Telecommunications, video surveillance, equipment services produced or provided by an entity that the Secretary of Defense in consultation with the Director of National Intelligence or the Director of Federal Bureau of Investigation reasonably believes to be an entity owned or controlled by or otherwise connected to the government of a covered foreign country. Now, covered foreign country, covered, covered foreign country. See, they have so many intertwining things. It's, it's just so... Terrible. I wonder how many of them have Ukrainian nationalities. I, I mean, we all know that John Owen Brennan has a Ukrainian passport. And I think he had an Egyptian one when he went to the university, uh, the American University in Cairo. I'm pretty sure he had one there when he did his Muslim studies. I'm not sure. I don't remember. You know, that Lacey Drive man, that Lacey Drive man, that Lacey Drive man. But anyway, continuing on, continuing on. So let's 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 take a look at what this uh, small intelligence agency does uh, before anything. Let's find the. Uh, oh, that's a lot of police sirens. Let's find this small agency. Man, it's pretty crazy, right? Can you hear that? They're coming to get me. No, they're not. Wow, that's pretty crazy. That's a lot of them. And they stopped right outside my apartment building. All right. 
Let's go. Okay, here we are. This is a minute clip. Here we go. If you're an analyst who wants to focus on issues and places in one of the oldest and most prestigious intelligence collection agencies in the government, you may want to start looking for positions with the Department of State's Bureau of Intelligence and Research. INR gathers information and intelligence to aid diplomats and State Department employees. It's a direct descendant of the Office of Strategic Services Research Department, the oldest civilian intelligence organization in the U.S. government. INR is one of the smallest intelligence gathering organizations in the U.S. today, with just over 300 employees. Think of INR as the page six of the intelligence community. If you want to know what's happening behind the scenes, who hates who and why, ask INR. They're responsible for very granular polling across the international community. That nuanced intelligence aids foreign policy decision-making and is disseminated through the broader intelligence community. INR has three primary missions, all-source analysis, intelligence policy and coordination, and analytic outreach. Even though INR is the smallest intelligence working group in the IC, they have 23 offices working on specific types of intelligence and regions. The INR has an extremely competitive hiring environment for intelligence research specialists focusing on their areas of responsibility, including technical intelligence, cyber, economic analysis, human trafficking, and public opinion, in addition to the need for expertise in geographic areas across the globe. If you're looking for a competitive career with some of the best intelligence gathering professionals in the business, check out careers with INR. Well, actually, I would argue that we need to dismantle the INR. That is like the cesspool. So, you know, if you're the Secretary of State, you need galoshes up to your neck to walk through that. They command money that's dark, right? And they push forward. It was a spinoff, a dark spinoff of the OSS, which was a predecessor of the CIA. Hello? So when I say that the State Department is a lot more dangerous than the CIA, I'm telling you that's the way it is. Because they negotiate all the deals. They're all the academics, all the idiots, right, that think that they're smarter than everyone else. And Tony Blinken, a criminal himself, and you have seen the acts and the engagements that he has had on behalf of foreign nations at the expense of the United States through Hunter Biden's laptop. So let's move it over to having a conversation two years ago with the State Department's Bureau of Intelligence and Research, or AKA INR. Now, I will start it at the panel introductions so you can see these tools that your tax dollars pay for, right? And we're just going to go into the introduction, how they pat themselves on the back and how amazing they are and, you know, how cool they are. And, um, you know, maybe we should listen to the welcome from this tool. So let's take a listen. Oh, and remember, they take orders from clowns like Newland and Molly Fee that have destroyed our nation completely. So please enjoy the show. Thank you, Amanda. Uh, welcome everyone to Curator's Corner. If this is your first time joining us for any of our programs, a special welcome to you. If indeed this is the first time you've done anything with the Spy Museum, check out our website for all the great adult programming and even youth programming that we're doing throughout this end of the summer and into the fall. A lot of great things to keep your so occupied uh, during this pandemic. We are in a pretty extraordinary situation this year, regardless of all the crazy that's happened otherwise, because we are marking the 75th anniversary of 
pretty momentous moment, really, the end of World War II. We've had a lot of really key dates throughout this year, going from May and VE Day to all the different nuclear stuff from Trinity to Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Soon we'll be celebrating the formal end of World War II in the beginning of September. But another thing that is celebrating its 75th anniversary, as Amanda mentioned, is the State Department Intelligence Branch, the Bureau of Intelligence and Research, which a lot of you perhaps may not have heard a lot about. Perhaps you don't know of them at all, but they are, as you can tell, older than CIA, older than NSA, DIA, actually the vast majority of intelligence agencies as part of the IC. INR is one of the first. Uh, so why don't we hear about them a lot? There's not a lot of movies about INR agents running around the world, uh, you know, saving the day. They don't tend to crow a lot, but today we're going to give them the opportunity to brag a little bit about themselves because they deserve it after 75 years. So we're joined by an extraordinary panel, including the boss herself. We have the Assistant Secretary of State for the Bureau of Intelligence and Research, Ellen McCarthy, who's joining us. We also have the Director of the Office of Cyber Affairs, Benjamin Brake, who's, I have to say, all his buddies call him Benjamin. We have to make sure we've got that in there. We have the Science and Global Health Advisor to INR, Dr. Adrian Keen. And finally, the Director of the Office of Opinion and Research at INR, Regina Ferranda. So thank you all for joining us. This is going to be a really interesting panel. Uh, we, we really haven't had the opportunity to reach out and talk to you guys very much. And so I think we have the best four we could possibly ask for certainly here. So Assistant Secretary McCarthy, let me start with you because, uh, you know, like I said, you, you don't necessarily hear a lot about INR. I think that's on purpose. You know, you kind of keep your head down and keep quiet and do your job. But for the audience out there who may not be as familiar with INR as, as some of us are, can you talk a little bit about your place within the IC? What does INR provide to the broader intelligence community and American national security writ large? Like, where do you, What is your claim to fame at INR? So first of all, call me Ellen. Although every time I hear Assistant Secretary, I get the, I, it gives me the shakes because I would never have thought, I started in the intelligence community in the mid eighties. And if somebody had told me then that someday you would get to come and work in INR, I would have said you're crazy. Um, because INR just has had, for those of us who've worked in the IC, INR is very well known actually. You know, it has a, a long reputation for excellence and being the really smart kids and, um, you know, being the ones who uh, had deep knowledge, deep expertise, you know, would spend years in an area or a function. And so, you know, when given the chance to come and work with these folks, it was, uh, you, you don't say no to those sorts of opportunities. Um, but I'll tell you, I, I really was surprised at all that INR does, even I who've been around for a while. And by the way, you should always know that the second you think you know, you are hosed. I mean, seriously, it, it, I had no idea all the things that INR, INR does. Um, we are the State Department's intelligence agency. Um, we're not only are we one of 40 bureaus within state, but we're also one of 16 intelligence agencies. So we operate and we report to the Director of National Intelligence, just like CIA and DIA and all the agencies that I'm sure many of your bureaus, bureaus are very familiar with. But what sets us apart from all of those intelligence agencies is we're the only one that supports the Secretary of State and his team, both inside Maine State and spread around the world that are at the posts. We are the only ones whose whole reason for existence is to inform policymaking and to ensure that not only are we leveraging the work that all the other agencies are doing, but we are, we are executing our own expertise that comes from 
operating day-to-day -day with policymakers, being completely integrated with their operations, developing those relationships. Um, our, you know, we have 20% of our staff is foreign service, so we truly understand the needs of the policymaker, and we have a level of expertise that you won't find anywhere else across the IC. So that, in a nutshell, is who INR is, and we are super cool. And when I get out of this job, I plan on producing a movie, and some of these folks <laughs> on the screen will be in that movie. Not, not sure there'll be a lot of parachuting in that movie or anything, but it'll be, I'll watch it. I'll definitely watch it. So the most probably person that's been very busy, I would think, over the last six or seven months is Adrian. As the you know, global health science advisor, um, you've probably had your hands full uh, with, you know, there is a global, in case you haven't been paying attention, uh, there's a global <laughs> pandemic. And, you know, you, you, the State Department, uh, more than anyone else, is has its hands tied to global cooperation and internationalism. So I Internationalism, keyword, keyword, keyword. These people are tools. The bitch is drinking out of a jar, right? They're at home, right? And these people are the ones that are dictating our global policies and handing over money to people. This is what we're looking at. These people have the IQ of my shoe size, and it's only a seven and a half, so it's not that big. They're all dumb. They're all dumb, and they're selling out our nation in the name of what? Globalization. Hmm. And the scandemic was required in order to get people on a global ID system, right? And President Trump, before he announced the lockdowns, he pushed real ID out. But, you know, now comes your water. And so all of you will comply with the ID for water. <laughs> no, we won't. Hmm. Not a lot of people believe there's a water shortage. I tell people they think there, there isn't. And it's like, well, they will make it. And they will have it so. And so we need to be paying attention and being laser focused. Because while you're making your paper dollar dollar with your stupid socks and shit, you're going to be thirsty. And not thirsty for attention. Thirsty for water. I won't be around for that. But some of you will. I'm wondering how much, in two cents, how much you've had to, um, how much your job has gotten busier, certainly over the, over the last six months, but also the opportunities that have opened up for cooperation in, in, in with other countries that maybe we wouldn't have dealt with before over this idea of how can we come together uh, and do something about the COVID-19 outbreak. Well, thanks for that question, and um, I'm really excited to be here and talk about talk about the science um, because I'm a scientist by training. So that subject is near and dear to my heart. So yes, I've been. I, I can't. I'm a scientist by training, right? I'm a molecular and cellular biologist. I have a degree in that, and I already knew what was happening with COVID, how it was happening, how it was responding, how we still haven't singled out, you know, a viral strain, what the vaccine was actually doing before anybody was talking about it. In fact, they just took what I said and then just interjected misinformation. See, those people waiting for you to buy their socks or gold or whatever other products they want to sell you. And they just repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat, right? Huh? Science. I mean, that's, even a speculation right now. My point is science, but okay. I've been very, very busy over the last six months. Um, it, you know, it feels like at least a decade ago when um, it was actually December 31st when I first learned of the outbreak, when the world learned of the outbreak um, through a few infectious 
and disease uh, monitoring listservs and things. So I've been really busy since that time. Um, you know, it's been really a ton of work, but it's also been pretty gratifying as a scientist to see um, all of the international science output during this crisis. And it's been so important to our work. Um, international, I mean, science advances in general, but of course during this crisis have been so important to understanding the, you know, the foreign policy implications and national security implications of, of these sorts of um, crises. So all right. Who hired this idiot? Right. Oh, about these, uh, you know, and whatnot and, and crises and uh, national security. Well, national security was the fact that Pfizer didn't tell us where they were creating this vaccine. It was all quiet. We didn't know what facilities it was made in, but yet we were giving it to our military. Now we have a 500% increase in HIV in our military, but you know, she's really smart. She's in charge of your health and our foreign policy regard to health. I don't understand why our foreign policy has anything to do with health aside from let's shut down the fucking border. If they have something, and that's it to protect our citizens. But, you know, inclusivity, right? Is that it? Is that it? But listen to these really smart people that, you know, put out these policies and hand you over to the World Trade Organization, World Economic Forum, you know, the UN. I mean, uh, you know, I would like to have an apartment in the UN building. There's actually a specific room where they would house all the interpreters. Kid you not. It's one of my favorite rooms because it has the most comfortable couches. I think they want everyone rested so they don't mess up, right? I want that. I want an apartment in the UN building and I want the couches. So when we take it from them, I want to make sure that we keep the couches. There's a burgundy leather couch that's specific. It's been there for forever and a day. Uh, you know, the leather has creased nicely. I want that couch. Hmm. So, so that's been... Um um, yeah, really, really important to our work. And um, the thing is, uh, yeah, the thing is, there is, you know, there, there has been such a volume that you've got to kind of filter through the science too, right? So we, um, you know, I spend a lot of my time trying to evaluate what type of science is actually helpful and what kind of science we're going to put in front of our, our senior policymakers. And then, of course, we combine that with the intelligence reporting and diplomatic reporting from our, you know, our diplomats out overseas to, to provide the fullest picture we can for our senior policymakers. So, so yes, we've, we've done a lot of that. Um, but we also have relationships. I mean, the great thing about INR is because we're, you know, part of the State Department and we don't do any intelligence collection. So, you know, we're all overt analysts. We're able to reach out and maintain relationships with scientists um, all over the world and, and in the U.S. and, and get their thoughts on, on crises like this. So we, we ask for their input directly. Um, we go to conferences and things like that. And then also have some more formal relationships, even like asking them to do research projects for us, bringing them in for analytic outreach events where we can ask them kind of behind closed doors. So with policymakers, with us in the intelligence community, ask them questions about their science and, and their views on scientific issues. So, so we've done that multiple times, times throughout this um, crisis. And then as far as the international cooperation side, I really don't have a whole lot to say on that. So we are, um, as Ellen said in, in INR, um, we are supporting the policymakers. So we're providing them the analysis and information. And so I'll kind of leave that, I would leave that to my um, broader State Department colleagues for that question, yeah. Okay. Well, Ben, let me ask you a similar question because the, the it, it's not a new issue like the pandemic is, but because cyber affects everyone on earth, anyone who's connected at all to the internet and countries, perhaps that wouldn't normally get along well together are dealing with some of the similar threats, particularly from non-state actors and you know, terrorist organizations and others. 
has there been have there been new diplomatic opportunities that have opened up because of the spread of the dangers of cyber around the world, particularly from, I think, you know, when ISIS was at its height, you saw them attacking everyone, you know, using cyber capabilities that we just not assume existed. You know, yes, this is a problem, but could it also be seen as a diplomatic opportunity? Okay. To answer the second part of the question, it's, it's not. It's not collection, it's polling, it's open source research. Um, we've been doing this polling for 75 years since the end of World War II. Most of that time was actually outside of the intelligence community. So we were first part of the Office of Military Government, which was OMG US in Western Germany. And then we were part of the US Information Agency for 50 years. So we were in government, which was OMG US in Western Germany. And then we were part Did you catch that? They were OMG. That was in Western Germany. I'm just going to rewind that. I need you guys to listen to the history of that. So just listen carefully. They're the OSS. That was never gone. Listen carefully. Um, we've been doing this polling for 75 years since the end of World War II. Most of that time was actually outside of the intelligence community. So we were first part of the Office of Military Government, which was OMG US in Western Germany. And then we were part of the US Information Agency for 50 years. So we were always doing this polling during that time. It wasn't part of the IC, it wasn't collection, it's just, it's just polling, which we think is pretty interesting. Anyway, um, so to answer the broader question, the main national security advantage is really the uniqueness of this information. There are few governments around the world that have the benefit of understanding public opinion to the extent that we do, tailored in the way to, to their policymakers like we do. So like in any other situation, having unique information gives you this strategic advantage. So some concrete examples, Vince, you talked about um, you talked about influence efforts. Well, this is actually one of the areas where my, Adrian's, Ben's offices really intersect. So on COVID, for instance, we this is as much this is as much a um, an effort to shape discourse and narratives and control information or to share information as anything else. So my office can go and see what people understand about COVID, see what narratives they're, they're kind of glomming onto. That has, a real, that has a real impact, a real benefit to epidemiology and public health. There is a huge dose of cyber in that because as Ben mentioned, you know, actors, state actors, other actors are trying to essentially shape narratives and information around COVID. So that's the kind of thing we can understand, only really understand with empirical research. Um, one other thing, we, we essentially do really good anticipatory intelligence. So with this kind of data, we can say, we think this population is right for protests. We can say, this is how this population is probably gonna vote. And we are really good at making those predictions. And so that, that is, those are two really big benefits. You know, Vince, if I can jump in, um, because I'll tell you that uh, Regina's, Regina's heard me say this before, you know, I think 
I'm so glad that the State Department actually had the foresight to move OPN into the intelligence um, community um, because it's becoming more and more valuable a tool as the world gets more and more complex, as Gina has just highlighted. And I've actually called it Polkin because it is a source of information that our all source analysts absolutely rely on. But I'll tell you, it's also standalone. So if you are in the Bureau of Western Hemispheres and you want to understand um, how is sanctions working and name the country? You know, there's no better way that, to do it. There's no more accurate, true way to do it than to get Gina's team on the ground collecting that data and providing those insights. And as I said, in a world that's getting more complex where it's nothing is black and white, our friends are not our friends and our enemies are not our enemies, you know, having some capability that provides some true insights that can help you sort of, you know, snitch the wheat from the chaff, you know, that's OPN. They're an incredibly valuable capability and they're a very unique tool that INR has. Another thing that sets us apart from the other intelligence agencies. Well, Ellen, let me follow up on that because uh it's a somewhat exaggeration, but basically the people on the screen is about half of the population of INR. <laughs> you, 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 you got put in charge of an organization that is dramatically smaller than many of the other ICs. You, you, you have a small team and you have to do way more with way less. Talk a little bit about that dynamic. It's, obviously there's a benefit to having like, you know, 300 kick butt studs at your disposal. But the work, especially in a time like this, where you're dealing with a pandemic and there's cyber overtones and there's a lot of information coming in, it's gotta be tough to have such a small group working for you. Well, so first let me talk about the, let me start with the benefits of being small. I mean, I've worked at agencies of 15,000 or more. And I think one of the biggest, biggest benefits of being small is that we're incredibly agile. So the reality is, is that we can pivot to a, prior, to a new priority very quickly. And because we're small, we're also very integrated. Um, you know, these three people run three different offices, but they talk and they communicate pretty much daily. And so before, long before, you know, the rest of the community was moving to a mission management model, whereas we would integrate different skill sets. INR has been doing this for its whole 75 years. So, I mean, that's part of our strength. That we work very closely together. Um, our people are, uh, they tend to stay, they don't tend to leave. On, and, and there's a reason why. I mean, having worked defense and law enforcement, let me tell you that working intelligence and support of diplomacy is about as cool as it gets. Um, because you're, you have a relationship with your client. So you're getting immediate feedback about how that information is actually affecting a policy or how it's not affecting a policy. So So in other words, <laughs> their intelligence, where they're all federal something something, and they never leave, right? They are more concerned about their policies. Have you read what USAID does? Oh, they promote democracy in other nations. Oh, my God. Are you listening carefully to who these dangerous humans are? And they're all idiots. Look at the sign behind her. Women leaders, what do men really think? Get out of here. Who are these people? How is this person paid by my tax dollars? Right? Listen carefully. They're getting paid by us. They're getting paid by us to say stupid things. Like they, they look like idiots. Who's going to take them seriously? Imagine them sitting across the table with, you know, the KGB or Taliban leaders. Oh my gosh. They'd be like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and. No, like, what is this? Is kindergarten.
So there's great, you know, that that self-actualization comes from having that sort of relationship, getting that feedback, knowing you're making a difference. Um, and so as a result, because they stay, they get really good at what, they, what they're studying. And it can be anything from um, an operational capability to being an analyst in um, a, a China analyst. So, you know, you, you become pretty good. We speak multiple languages. Most of our people have multiple advanced degrees and they have deep relationships with their clients. So they really, they become friends, they know them, they know the foreign service. And so that's why we can do so much with, with few, so few people. But the other side of that is not only are we very integrated with the State Department, we're incredibly integrated with the intelligence community. Because we understand the needs of the policymaker, we, and we have people whose entire job it is, to ensure that the rest of the intelligence community, those agencies that do collections, are satisfying the needs of the policymaker. They're satisfying the needs of the Secretary of State. And so Did you hear that? Satisfying the needs of the Secretary of State. So the intelligence community's job is to make sure to satisfy the needs of the policymaker and the secretary of state and they're their clients. Please pay attention to the verbiage used so that you understand. I wish I could run into this chick at a cocktail party in DC. Like I'm just itching. I'm just itching. And she needs to blow back on the fillers, man. Her cheeks look crazy. Let's go. So because we have those relationships and that expertise, we're very, we're very successful at being able to lever leverage the much larger agencies, especially the collection agencies, to make sure that they know that we're here. Um, you know, we're small, but we're mighty. And, and you ask anybody in the, in the intelligence community, they're going to tell you that. Okay, so there's the plus side. But here's my public service announcement, the negative side. Yes, the world is getting far more complex. You know, we, we are very proud of our 75-year history. You know, we're the only operational component of the Office of Strategic Services. In 1945, when it was dissolved, there was one capability that remained. That was the research and analysis branch. And, and President Truman decided to move it to the State Department. So and he even wrote in that letter that this is now the first of what will become an enduring intelligence capability in a government entity. When we came over, we were thousands of historians and artists and, um, and uh, anthropologists and scientists. And here we are today, not nearly thousands of people in, in a world that's arguably more common. Stop. Do you remember from Enjoy the Show, the documentary, who were the people that were the first that signed up for OSS, if you remember on the video? It was actors. It was the Vanderbilts, the Rothschilds. I mean, they were called out by freaking name. All the talking heads you see were part of OSS. And when OSS was dissolved and they created the CIA, he moved a portion of that into the State Department. And if you remember, who are the people that pushed the Russia fucking collusion? It was the INR of the State Department that had done all that. Who are the ones that are hiding and covering for Ukraine? The State Department. Right. You, all of you remember from the documentary who these people are. Remember, it was even that 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 chef, Julia Child. Right. They tell you who they are, but no one's listening. See, one thing that we need to be doing is targeting the right agencies and the right people. 
right? Because we can't, you know, veer from that. Because the more we fall down these stupid rabbit holes, oh, who's he? He's saying this. And oh, I'm going to go and I'm going to see this event and people are going to sit there and they're going to bitch about shit and I'm going to pay them hundreds of dollars so they can bitch about shit because I'm going to feel better, right? We don't need the INR. It should have been gutted in the first place. We need to sequester our intelligence. And in 2023, nothing is secret. Nothing. So there is no need for secrets when they sit behind closed doors and cut deals anyway, and full show they have these wars or whatever. Seriously. An actual war will take minutes to start and finish, right? So these are the people that are running everything. And of course, the State Department is being interviewed by the Spy Museum. I mean, because that makes sense, right? Let me show you the a graphic and I don't want to play the video because it's like bot like but I want to show you the graphic of uh you know the INR so as you could see the INR takes all information from all of the divisions that we have from uh you know different regions right uh they work in intelligence operations, as you can see here, right? Um, the Deputy Assistant Secretary for Intelligence Policy and Coordination is part of the INR and the PC. We have the Deputy Assistant um, uh, Secretary for Analysis and Production, which is, again, the INR and AN. And these are all the regions that they foresee, you know, oversee. Here we have, you know, liaison, publications, administrative stuff, current intelligence staff, executive director. These are all more fed to the PDAS, which is the principal deputy uh, assistant secretary, which are from external agencies, right? And these are the internal, this is where the FSOs report back and the NGOs that they pay you know, give them intelligence because, you know, Open Societies is an intelligence company. West Exec, intelligence company. Spirit for America, which is a nonprofit, is also an intelligence and trafficking front company run by all your generals, of course, former generals, but they all hold the title. And then all of that feeds into the assistant secretary of state. You know, by the way, where's Linick these days? It would be interesting to know where Linick is. So interesting to know where he is. But this is what you need to know. The actual people causing chaos within our nation and that dictate what the policies are. And what's interesting is I found this really old video of um, the INR being asked about Russia in the year 2000. This is before 9-11, okay? And INR had a big role in 9-11 too. I mean, it was Tennant and Brennan that set most of that shit up, but it, it's important for people to understand just how far back most of this goes. Let's see, is it here where he talks about it? Let me just see it quickly. All right, here we go. Here we go. Because the, it, this guy asks him a question about Russia, just so that you can see how 23 years ago, Russia wasn't a thing and how uh, spot-on uh, Fingar's uh, statement was in regards to that. I want you to listen carefully to what he has to say to the question. Japanese put a very, I've forgotten what the figure is, but it's a lot of money. Those are renegotiated episodically. I don't think it's as often as annually. We are coming up to another of them. And one begins to, it's a five years, thank you, that 
the recession that Japan has been in, with the exception of a couple of quarters now for several years, that one begins to hear uh, now through the media in Japan, other ways as well, but that might have to cut back on host nation support, might not be able to be as generous. Uh, you Americans are in an economic boom. We are in a depression. We are allies, after all. There's a point, but it has not, to my knowledge, yet been addressed at a formal level. And there has not been a reduction in it through the period because it had been agreed to, um, as you say, five years ago. The, uh, the first question was, what is the role of the Russians with respect to uh, Iraq and the oil circumstance? And the hinted uh, second question is, uh, how does Saddam Hussein continue to survive? Well, you give me a chance to make um, an important point that I should have in the opening remarks. Russia is not a single entity any more than the United States is a unitary actor. The government of Russia is not smuggling oil out of Iraq. Russians, the incident that you're referring to from the newsflash, a Russian registered tanker owned by a multinational company, partly Russian, partly American, was engaged in smuggling. It wasn't the United States government engaged in smuggling. Individuals were engaged in this activity and they have a nationality and there's flags on, sh on the ships. This is one of you know, the conversations with the Russian. We didn't do it, we wouldn't do it. Oh no, they're not really our responsibility. I mean, it was sort of that progression. Um, so that, that is, what is true in this example for Russia is true writ large for Russian interaction with Iran, Libya, arms sales to parts of the world, China. There's one China. There's 1.3 billion Chinese, and they don't all do the same thing, and they don't all pay attention to their own country's laws. So you get smuggling, you get violations of the law. And it is a big, big, big mistake that media and too many politicians in this country make to leap on the individual violations and attribute them to responsibility of the national government. Russia's role in Iraq Russia had a traditionally close relationship with Iraq, sold them a lot of weapons. Uh, it's, it's in a general neighborhood of what was the Soviet Union. Iraq is the second, second largest reserves of oil are in Iraq. It's going to be a major player. The Russians would like to get back in when the embargo is lifted commercially in the oil industry where they do actually have the ability to compete with multinational companies. Lots of things they can't compete. They can compete for the kinds of contracts they might get in Iraq. So they have been tarred by some as the friend of Saddam. Saddam's mouthpiece in the UN were the Russians and the French carrying Saddam's water in the UN, pushing for relaxation of sanctions and so forth. It's enlightened self-interest. They're going to end sometime. 
if they're perceived as the guys that help lift them, they might have a better advantage than being perceived as we are, and the British, correctly, as digging in our heels and resisting. Um, there's economic advancement, there's political influence, uh, as well as historic ties. Now, how does Saddam do it? Brutality is part of it. That there are a lot of tough systems out in that part of the world. Um, and the use of violence, intimidation, terror, that it's not Stalinist, Stalinist uh, or esque in its scope, but it's effective. Not Stalin-esque, even though we work with Stalin and we decided with Stalin and freaking Churchill to separate the Korean Peninsula and hand over the northern part to the Soviets, which was part of the deal with Stalin, which then we countered by creating the CCP. So the CCP literally took over. I mean, it's such a hot mess. And you know what? It's all down to the same damn division, the same division that orchestrated everything. So what's important to understand is who and what is doing most of the talking. So I believe that it is at this point that we need to see this hearing. So that way you see your DNI person ask questions, right? And this, this chick is also part of West Exec. Well, was, right? Now she's the DNI for Biden. Please take a listen to what she has to say. That's something that President Xi has to weigh as he comes out of zero COVID, tries to restore Chinese economic growth, tries to engage with, you know, the rest of the global economy. And I think that also, you know, weighs in his decision about whether or not to supply lethal equipment to Russia. We see clear evidence that the Chinese leadership is considering that, not that it's made a decision, not that it's begun lethal shipments. But there again, I think that economic factor, as Director Haynes said, has to weigh significantly in the calculus of the Chinese leadership. Do we believe that the Chinese leadership sufficiently appreciates, even, even were they to supply lethal weapons, that would have economic consequences. An awful lot of people around the world would be much more hesitant to do business with China. Do we believe that the leadership in Beijing understands how that is a first step towards, again, killing the golden goose that has allowed that country to grow economically? I think the only, the only thing that I would highlight, Congressman, is that I think it's it's been important that European leaders have spoken up on this issue as well, because I think for a long time the Chinese leadership has assumed that it could drive wedges between the United States and our European allies on an issue like this. I think the fact that several prominent European leaders have spoken out directly about this uh, is a very important step. Thank you. Um, second category of questions is on technology, and I want to be respectful of my colleagues' time, so I'm going to direct the questions to General Nakasone and, and General Barrier. Um, I had the opportunity last week to visit CIA and see the uh, work that's been doing, been done by the director in terms of technological innovation. Uh, uh, director Burns has made it a strategic priority. Um, he hired somebody from the outside to be chief technology officer. Uh, the visit was amazing. This new chief technology officer <laughs> cleared out offices, created an open floor space. There's free snacks. It's, they're just you know, missing a millennial playing the guitar. To, to, to reproduce what you see in Palo Alto every day in the middle of CIA headquarters. So um, with that as, as context, um, what are you guys doing? Uh, I'll start with you, General Naxon. What are you guys doing that is as tangible as what CIA has done to make sure that we are at the cutting edge of, of, of technological innovation? One of the things we've done, uh, Ranking Member, is look at different partners. Uh, this is the key piece of what we've learned from Russia, Ukraine. Uh, the private sector has been incredibly helpful in terms of where we need to go in being able to 
thwart what Russia has attempted to do in Ukraine. We've opened up a cyberspace collaboration center, an unclassified um, building where our analysts go to engage with the private sector and members of the defense industrial base to do two things. One is to provide information in the defense industrial base in terms of what is going on in the domain of cyberspace. Two is to also get information from what we're seeing out there. What are the new leads? What are the things that we have to be able to, to emphasize? Uh, the coming decade is certainly a, a decade where cyberspace will be dominant. One of the things that we believe is that we have to have those partnerships that are so critical. Joe Barry. Congressman, our, our innovation engine is really fueled by this thing called Needopedia. This is where Needopedia, where, where companies can come in with great ideas on, on how they might be able to help the defense intelligence enterprise. We evaluate those ideas, we meet with those folks, and then, and then we try to pull their ideas in. Our two major focus areas right now are AI and ML for our program called Mars, the machine assisted analytic rapid repository system, which will revolutionize the way we do foundational military intelligence, really pulling in swaths of data to make uh, that environment much richer for our analysts. And the other piece is really our, our MASIN sensor modernization to be able to take all of those varieties of signals that are out there that are new and unique and be able to pull them into our MASIN enterprise. That's the focus of DI. Thank you. Uh, General Barry, I, I appreciate that. And, and, and I'm glad you highlighted uh, openness to outside companies that are not the traditional primes, I think that only gets you about a third of the way there because I've just heard too many stories of innovative companies who just have no hope of navigating the acquisition process and authorities and everything else, even though they may have cutting edge technology far better than what would be. So I'm gonna follow up with you uh, on that and uh, yield back my time. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Dr. Winstrup. Well, thank you, Chairman Turner, Ranking Member Hines, and all of you for being here today, Director Haynes. Uh, you, you cut right to it today about the challenges that we face as, as a nation, the threats that we have. Threats to our country are not new, but some of the forms of those threats uh, are new. And, and I want to talk about that a little bit. The Chinese Communist Party is very assertive. They want to stabilize us as much as they can, and they're, they're getting pretty good at it. So the growing concerns I have are the development of adversaries' uh, biological weapons is of great concern to me and also the flow of illicit fentanyl coming into our country, which even in a meeting with the Chinese ambassador, he admitted we sell the precursors, those are legal products, you know, it's somebody else's problem after that. Well, it is our problem, and I do wanna hold those accountable for these uh, efforts to be held accountable at, at, at some point, and we've got to do a better job of that. And I think we need to address and invest in so the resources we need to, to stop the scourge of this uh, of fentanyl, illicit fentanyl, and also the creation of bioweapons is something we should be greatly concerned about, as with any weapon an adversary may carry. Uh, so it's our responsibility, I think, uh, to really work together on these, these things as best we can. We had a panel a few weeks ago, Dr. Heather Wilson was there, and I asked how we could work together. Uh, a little bit better in her, in her eyes. And she mentioned how the law requires members of this committee to be kept fully and currently informed of the intelligence activities of the United States. That's this committee. It's not every member of Congress. It's not the general public. And we all get that. But for this committee, uh, it, it has to happen. And we need to insist upon that. And we also need to insist on our side uh, that we engender trust to the seriousness of this committee and the work that we have to do and our own professional responsibilities in this relationship. And, and I think we're at that point. I really do with, with this committee right now. But we have the responsibility of oversight as well as working with uh, all of you. And in my mind, there can be no walls between us. 
There can be walls around us at times. There needs to be walls around us at times, but there should be no walls between, between us if we're going to be effective. And we really can only move at the speed of trust. And I feel like I've uh, developed relationships with, with all of you. Uh, it's been very helpful to the work that we do on this committee, and I thank you for that. Uh, sometimes we can do a little bit more. And so, uh, Director Haynes, I know this committee has written you a few times about who the intelligence community consulted with regarding the assessment of COVID-19 and its origins. Now, I chair the select subcommittee on the pandemic, all things with the pandemic and origins of COVID is, is important. And even yesterday in our hearing, every, every person on the committee, bipartisan, and every one of our panelists said, finding the origins of COVID is an important project we need to continue and try to get to. And we can go into all those reasons. Um, you know, why is, it why is it important though that it, for us to have this information and to know who the experts are? And uh, you know, if we hear something like, it's our policy not to tell you on the committee who we spoke to, that's a problem. And it is important who you spoke to because if who someone spoke to may have some personal bias uh, or other agenda or political bias, towards their conclusions. I mean, look, you see, you've seen all these agencies with different conclusions. Well, why is that? Well, part of that may be depending upon who they talk to. So that is important that we get that information. And it, it's, it's my understanding that the DOE would be willing to show us their underlying report, especially their updated report. But uh, since OD and I owns the assessment, you'd have to approve that. So what I'm gonna ask is that you would approve that and, and get us that information so that we can move forward. And uh, I would hope that we can also get the information of actually who they talk to. This, it's important to this committee. It's important to the country. Uh, so, uh, so they have a report. And again, you know, your DNI, right? Your director of national intelligence was a former member of West Exec. Now, I think it's important at this time that you guys see who these people are, so that way you understand a little bit more what I'm talking about. Um, they're the ones that are targeting Julian Assange. Uh, their British division is the one that is paying off the courts at the Crown. Uh, they're the ones that are coordinating this whole message. This chick, Michelle Florinoy, Florinoy she is running everything. She co-founded this along with Tony Blinken. Here is what they do. They advise. And here are their strategic partners. Pine Island Capital Partners, Ridgeline, Tenio, and BCG. Here's where they're located, right by the West Wing. So simple, isn't it? Now, who they are, let's see. Is that the one? See the full team. Let's go. Here are who they are. You should know that these are all former Obama and Clinton staffers. All of them. Every single one of them. He's also the co-chair for Ridgeline Partners. You know, the venture capital firm that you found is a partner. So as you could see here, he says, in addition to his time at the White House, Nitin has clearly a decade of experience in the U.S. national security policymaking, having served in a variety of roles at the Department of State's policy planning staff. Oh, you mean, right? The INR, 
Knight, who tries to make sure that the intelligence community stays put with um, keeping the policymaker happy. But beyond his leadership role at West Exec, Nintin serves as an investment co-chair for Ridgeline Partners, a venture capital, and a special situation fund focused on investing early-stage companies that innovate technologies to support global security arena. Wait, where do we see that company again? <laughs> Shit, let's go back. <clears throat> I'm pretty sure we saw that company right here. Okay, now let's go see who else other people are, right? Let's go to the other who we are. Let's go to Sergio. Former Chief of Staff of the U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations and former White House NSC Director. Sergio has a wide variety of experience in the national security arena, including serving at the Department of State as Chief of Staff to the U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations, working as a Senior Foreign Policy Advisor to Senator Tim Kaine of the United States. Oh, you mean the guy that was running for office with Hillary? Alrighty then. Alrighty then, he serves on the National Security Council staff of the White House as Director for the Middle East and North Africa, as well as working at the Department of Defense on Middle East issues as a Special Assistant to the Undersecretary of Defense Policy. Get the fuck out of here. But you know, that's another guy. You want to see this one? Oh, let's see this. Michelle Fernoy. She's a co-founder and managing partner of West Exec Advisors. Co-founder, former chief executive officer, now chair of the Center for New American Security. Prior to confirmation, Michelle co-led President Obama's transition team at the Defense Department. Where did I tell you was the problem with the fucking issue of handing over power? Mm, the transition team. All the moles are there, right? Hmm? Do you see that? Can you see who's hiding, who the real enemies are, right? Can you guys see that? Michelle is the recipient of numerous honors and awards, including the American Red Cross Exceptional Service Award in 2016, the Department of Defense Medal for Distinguished Public Service in 98, 2011-2012, and the chairman, get this, of the Joint Chiefs of Staffs Joint Distinguished Civilian Service Award in 2000, hi, 9-11, and 2012, hey, see, the Secretary of Defense Medal for Outstanding Public Service in 1996, what's up, Clinton, and CARES Global Peace Development and Security Award in 2019. Hmm. She also serves on the boards of CNAS, the company she co-founded, who's Alan Hamilton, Amida Technology Solutions, The Mission Continues and Care. She serves on the advisory boards of the Leadership Council for Women in National Security, Sesame Workshop. Is that the one in Jordan? Open Sesame. You know, the one that's kind of like the, you know, the, the proton thingamajiggy bulb that we have in Switzerland, CERN, right? Oh. Intel, PIMCO, 
She's a senior fellow at Harvard's Belfast Center for Science and International Affair, a current member of the Council of Foreign Relations, the Aspen Strategy Group. Isn't that the one where they had that meeting in Colorado where Rod Rosenstein and Schiff had a conversation with those Disney execs? And that is where the Charles Schwab inserts from the FBI were kind of taking all the financials that Trump had. And then the IRS agent that stole Trump's tax returns. Didn't that happen? through the Aspen's Chatterjee Group, a former member of the President's Intelligence Advisory Board, the CIA Director's External Advisory Board, and the Defense Policy Board. Huh. Oh, and let's not forget, she earned her bachelor's degrees in social studies from Harvard University and a master's degree in international relations from Beloit College of Oxford University, where she was a Newton Tatum scholar. Get the fuck out of here. But you know, these are the people that run everything. Major General Charlie Bolden, former NASA administrator, and he's supposed to be a charhead. General Vincent Brooks. Are you looking at these names? You should look them up. Ambassador Jim Jeffrey to defeat ISIS. We created it. Vice Admiral Joe McGuire. Look at the names of these people. Wait, but we have more. I should show you more stuff. Let me let me just show you how deep these these people are. Let's pull this up. You know who else works for them? This guy. But he's in the British division, of course. So I must put on one of my disguise voices. So this was announced uh, about a year ago, a little over a year ago, right? And as you can see, John Owen Brennan, former director of the Central Intelligence Agency, joins West Exec Advisors. Wasn't the co-founder Michelle, who co-founded it, obviously, with Tony Blinken in 2017, not because they were doing the presidential transition team and working with Mueller on the whole investigation. But John Owen Brennan is now part of the West Exec. You know, he's in England, though. He's hanging out in England. John is an exceptional public servant whose leadership has shaped the United States foreign policy for decades. His passion, expertise, and dedication to the mission are evident through every role in which he served. We are thrilled John is joining the West Exec team. He will bring invaluable insights to our clients, said the managing partner and one of the co-founders. The other co-founder is Tony Blinken, who's your secretary of state, and then the other members is your, you know, uh, director of national intelligence right now, bunch of FSOs, chief of staff within the White House, Secret Service, you name it, they got them in there, all of them, through West Executive Twice. You know, you know how we, we, we keep asking, like, what job does Hunter Biden do? Like, what did he do, right? And then you come to think of it, and you're like, mm, I don't know. Like, what does he really do? And it's like, mm, what does West Exec do, right? They sell clout, right? They sell access, right? That's what they do. They sell clout and access. This is what they do. Clout and access. Now, I want you to see what Wikipedia has to say about this company so that you understand who these people really are. <laughs> A consulting firm founded in 2017 by Anthony Blinken, Michelle Fernie, Sergio Aguirre, and Dintin Chada, all former Obama administration officials, right? 
And Lisa Monaco, Robert O'Work, Avril Haynes, you know, your DNI, David Cohen, Zen, Jen Saki have also been West Exec employees. In an interview with Intercept, Florney explained that West Exec seeks to employ people recently coming out of government with current knowledge, expertise, contacts, and networks. So in other words, like I said, they sell connections. Connections. They don't disclose who their clients are because the names are restricted. Under a financial disclosure filed by the Biden transition team in December 2020, Secretary of State nominee Anthony Blinken declared that clients of West Exec included, listen to this, investment giant Blackstone, Bank of America, Facebook, Uber, McKinsey and Company, the Japanese conglomerate SoftBank, the pharmaceutical company Gilead, the investment bank Lazard, Boeing, AT&T, the Royal Bank of Canada, LinkedIn, and the venerable washing machine of all Sotheby's. In a similar form, the Director of National Intelligence designate Avril Haynes disclosed that they also worked with a data mining company called Palantir Technologies. They had nothing to do with our elections, of course. See, when you actually know your shit, you know how to pinpoint where the real problems are in our nation. And unfortunately, the United States of America lacks actual journalists and people that actually want to do their job and do their job right? Because it's all about reactive news, slightly. Nobody does homework. No one says, hey, this is the enemy. We need to be paying attention to where the enemies are sitting. But it feels like that's not happening. Well, you know, I, I think we should look into um, Pine Island Capital Partners, which is also a West Exec partner. I, I think that would be interesting. So allow me to do that now for you. Uh, let me share this. You should look at a couple of these names. I mean, I can pinpoint some very interesting ones, right? Like, I don't know, Senator Shambliss, Senator Daschle, Senator Dorgan. Oh, here's Michelle again. <laughs> oh my God, I thought she was part of West Exec. She's also part of this. How weird. Isn't that super weird? That is super weird. Uh, Congressman Gephardt, Ambassador Holiday, Ambassador Marshall, Admiral Mike Mullen, and Senator Nicole. Didn't we see some of those names on the West Exec, but they're also part of Pine Island Capital Partners? It almost feels like they're overlapping. I don't know. That's just me. Maybe someone can help me with that because maybe I'm just a little bit dumb or maybe I'm not that good at Googling, like people say. And I'm just, you know, just putting things together that's so wrong, right? Maybe that could be it. Hmm? See, this is a big problem. When you can't identify your enemy, you lose. And right now, there's a lot of people that can't identify the enemy. It's a big problem. It's a very big problem. And I hope most of you are paying attention to how they're doing it and how it's being done. Because that's, a, that's pretty interesting how they're actually negotiating and putting things together. You know, Spirit of America falls in. Um, what's interesting, well, you know what? Clapper. Hmm. We should tie this all in together. You know, the McChrystal, all the lovely generals, lovely generals uh, that are serving who? Who are they serving? I guess they're adhering to the rules that the uh, you know, that Congress kind of laid out for us, which is you're supposed to be serving us. 
not the people. Remember? You remember that? Remember when they said that? Mm. Well, let's take a quick break so I can fill up my caffeine here and go back to looking at who the problem, where the problem really lies. You know, wait, before we do that, remember how I said the State Department, you know, how Avril was like, oh my God, China's a problem. But the State Department, I mean, where the fuck is DHS doing their assessment reports when Inventura Technologies was rated in 2019 because they were they were taking our data and our information and they were sending it off to China, right? Where are they, right? Avon Georgia Technologies was indicted on December 6, 2019 for its alleged participation in two schemes to defraud the United States with associated charges of conspiracy to commit wire and mail fraud, unlawful importation and money laundering. This was based in China. This is a big deal, right? This is a very big deal. And these are the companies that the State Department says we should have. Apparently, Aventura Technologies was raided by the feds on November 7, 2019 for selling components made by China to the U.S. Army, Air Force, Marine Corps, and Navy. President Trump did that. And now we have the State Department saying, now you're going to use all of those for technology because those are like, okay, they're okay. They're okay. And yet we wonder why we're at this position. Get out of here. We already know. No one's paying attention to things. And we have the worst media ever. I'm so salty today. It's like not even funny how salty I am. I'm super salty. I mean, you know, it's almost playing the game like, um, who, who is it? Yeah, that's a good song we could play. Who is it? What was it? The, the guess who? There we go. Where you had all these faces and you asked, do they have a big nose, blonde hair? Are they bald? Do they wear glasses? This is how it feels. When we're watching the media, that is how it feels. It feels, you know, and we're talking alternative media, which, 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 which by the way, uh, the State Department is also offering a shit ton of money now to train media in Ukraine to counter disinformation. Like the fuck I want my tax dollars going there. But anyway, let's just keep going. Um, we're going to take a quick break. And you have to remember like, you know, like a guess who thing. Like, who is it? Who is the real boogeyman? It's not the ones that everyone's reacting to. Like, when I see the media, they're talking about shit that already happened, talking about shit that's already sailed, things that are happening. No one's talking about the now. They're reacting to the yesterday and the stuff that are coming. You can't identify the enemy. You can't do shit. And right now, our media has us spinning in circles. When they, oh, you know, Pfizer's so bad. Get the fuck out of my face. We already know that gone that's that's they, well, what do you want to do rehash out something stick in the past right we need to move forward right that's the thing we need to move forward we need to know why the state department is funding media operations is that not through usagm is that not through the voice of america i mean how is the state department in charge of that it's called money laundering but okay let's take a short break
And since Russia invaded Ukraine in 2022, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky has been begging for them. Zelensky has been doubling down on his request for NATO jets. And they really are pleas for fighter jets. But for Ukraine, the U.S. hasn't been as generous. You don't think he needs F-16s now? No, he doesn't need F-16s now. And that might be surprising because the U.S. has already given nearly $47 billion in military aid to Ukraine over the past year. That's a lot of weapons. Far more than it gave even some of its closest allies in 2020. And more than four times what it gave Afghanistan's army at the height of the U.S.-led war. What if I told you that they didn't give weapons? What if I told you that they're laundering money? What if I told you the DOD can't balance its checkbook? This is a historic number that you would see typically the U.S. military give to another country over decades. The U.S. refusing to send F-16s is a choice worth understanding. Because the weapons that the U.S. has and hasn't chosen to send Ukraine, and when they've sent them, have helped shape each phase of this war. So, what has the U.S. been giving to Ukraine, and why? Almost sounds like we're at war and not Ukraine, and they're kind of like a surrogate. No? Catching my drift? Man, they've got some good cleaners, don't they? Back in 2014, Russia took over Crimea and parts of eastern Ukraine with the help of Ukrainian separatist fighters. In 2014, ragtag wouldn't even describe the state of the Ukrainian armed forces. This is Jack Detch, foreign policy's U.S. national security reporter. They'd been gutted by years of neglect. A lot of the troops didn't have uniforms. Some of them didn't have hot food. Ukraine's leaders asked the U.S. for help, but President Barack Obama only sent protective gear and supplies, not weapons. In 2018, President Donald Trump agreed to send a limited number of anti-tank missiles, called javelins. But the Ukrainian army was still woefully unprepared if Russia decided to escalate the conflict. Which it did. In 2022, Russia launched a full-scale invasion of Ukraine. Russian jets and missiles were doing immense damage from the air, and Russian tanks were pushing Ukraine's troops backwards. Ukraine, again, asked the U.S. for help. From the beginning of the war, the Ukrainians wanted a lot of the things that you see on the menu right now. Uh, they wanted F-16s. They wanted main battle tanks. So they wanted this stuff from the get-go. President Joe Biden agreed to send a large package of weapons, but it mainly included the smaller and relatively unsophisticated kinds. The U.S. sent more javelins, plus ammunition, guns, and even some anti-aircraft missiles called Stingers. And many U.S. allies sent similar types of weapons. Germany sent 1,000 anti-tank missiles and 500 Stingers. Belgium sent 2,000 machine guns, but no one sent their advanced battle tanks or fighter jets. The main question in the beginning of the war was not just what the U.S. was going to send. I mean, the question was, like, are these guys going to fight? Certainly, that's been a resounding yes. Ukraine soldiers used anti-aircraft missiles to prevent Russian aircraft from controlling the skies. And they used the guns, ammo, and anti-tank weapons to halt Russia's progress. Like in this video, which shows Ukrainian soldiers destroying dozens of Russian tanks approaching Kyiv. But even though the Ukrainians were using these weapons well, the U.S. hesitated to send it more advanced equipment. So the U.S. has been concerned at almost every step about the potential for Russia escalating the conflict. The U.S. worried that Ukraine might use some of these advanced weapons, like fighter jets or long-range missiles, to strike inside Russia, sparking an escalation. This concern would come to define how the U.S. supplied Ukraine. 
In the spring of 2022, the war entered its second phase. Russia and Ukraine's armies weren't moving as much anymore, and instead began pounding each other with artillery. Russia was firing a staggering 60,000 rounds a day, while Ukraine could only manage to fire around 6,000. And it was quickly running low. But the US was still hesitating to expand the scope of its support. They're looking at what's kind of on the Christmas wish list and deciding what's actually prudent to give. Finally, in April 2022, the US agreed to send Ukraine its own artillery. And like in the first phase of the war, a number of allies then sent their own artillery, even though some had wanted to do it earlier. You sort of saw folks in Europe wanting the US to lead, but sometimes the US still very much deep in deliberation mode. The most important weapon the US sent were called HIMARS, powerful rocket launchers that could hit targets as far as 80 kilometers. They weren't powerful enough to strike inside Russia, but they did enable Ukraine to hit Russian supply depots and command posts far behind its front lines, which forced the Russians to move them back, weakening its troops at the front. Do you guys really believe that the Russians are scared? They can get over this war in like an hour, okay? All they need to do is drop it from the sky. I am telling you, this could be over in an hour. So why are we running interference? Right? That's a question people should ask. Everyone's playing the game. This is all very, you know, this tango has already been predetermined. These are all games that they've agreed to. Okay? Russia could have Ukraine, the whole Ukraine, including Kiev. They could even take Poland if they wanted to at the same time. But they haven't. And this is why the State Department is now focusing on Bosnia, Serbia, Croatia. You know, you know, did you guys, you remember back in the days with the Serbian war, what happened, right? You guys remember what happened? Well, they created a war, an anti-Muslim for the Balkan Muslims, you know, the leftovers from the Spanish Inquisition. There were concentration camps in the 90s. They collected people and they were annihilating them for being Muslim white Muslims, not Arabs. Do you know who created that war? It was the United States of America. In fact, it was Biden's delegation, hence why he got a highway in Serbia, right? Do you guys remember that? How they used the excuse, oh, so-and-so is poison and this and that, no, 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 no. This was creating foundations for what they wanted to do. And right now, we have bought the Ukraine 10 times over. We paid less to own Puerto Rico's ass, right? We paid a lot less for Alaska when Russia sold it to us for $7 million, right? So this is a military industrial complex and I'd like you to see how all of them come together. No, McChrystal doesn't play this. You know, this general doesn't do that. They're, they're good guys. They're really, really good guys. It's just maybe there's like a misunderstanding. Okay, because maybe you don't know what you're talking about. And it's like, all right, so allow me to show you how they work together. So there's this foundation. It's called the Third Option Foundation. It's a diverse, committed group of individuals, some with deep roots in the CIA, others with expertise in business and philanthropy. All of them have an intimate understanding of the needs of the special operations community, its operators and its families. So this is another foundation, right? <laughs> you wanna take a look at it? Let's look. The leadership, here's the board of directors, John Phelan, chairman of the Rugger Management LLC, 
did this, did that. Brian Carbaugh did this, did that. Not no super red flags right at the beginning. But here's where we get really, really interesting. Obviously, all of them have like CIA and GCHQ tucked in, as you could see. CIA is Distinguished Intelligence Medal. Then we get to Spellmeyer, right? Managing Director at Cerberus. You know, that's where? Come on, Blackstone Capital, BlackRock, all of that, right? He retired from the CIA with uh, 30 years of government service, paramilitary operations. Kevin Higgins, Senior Vice President General Managers of Global Opportunities for Zipline International Incorporated, also CIA. Stephanie Belstiri, well, she's also CIA. Jay Goifman, also, <laughs> I like all of them. But wait, here's where it gets interesting. They're board of advisors. John Brennan, Lieutenant General Maholland, James Clapper, Secretary Panetta, Bob Inninger, General Petraeus, Porter Goss, General Michael Hayden, the Honorable Mike Rogers, General Stanley McChrystal, and Dr. Michael Vickers. All of them together under one umbrella. Isn't that fantastic? Oh, look, YMCA at Fort Bragg. This is their support staff. Colin McKee. Oh, oh, wow. Look at them. These are all great guys. Dr. David King, Dr. Lawrence Ronan. Let's, let's, let's keep going. Have you looked at this? No, nobody talks about these things. They all say they're connected. They create all these fucking stupid maps. But what you have to understand is the same people recycling. Let me show you a document from Soros. Give me a second. Let me pull it up. And I'm going to read it for those that are listening podcast. State of play, Ukraine. General Wesley Clark, Polish General Skarpczyk, and a few specialists under the auspices, auspices of uh, Atlantic Council will advise President Poroshenko how to restore the fighting capacity of Ukraine without violating the Minsk Agreement. This is from before Zelensky. These are all the things that these foundations do. They're not new. They're not old. <laughs> In fact, they're ancient. This is a really big problem, okay? This is a very big problem. Because how are we going to know what's happening if we're not allowed to speak? How are we gonna know what's happening if we can identify the enemy? The military industrial complex is not a new idea. It's always existed. These war games have always existed. They're money-making machines and allow people to draw borders. Spirit of America, all intertwined. So then you would have to ask yourself, how is this allowed to happen? How do we tackle a monster so big? Right? How do we tackle a monster so big? You have to have a little stone. See, you don't take down Goliath with a big sword or with fancy lights and fucking selling socks and gold, right? You don't take down Goliath with a tanker or an F-16 or a missile launcher. You don't take him down like that. You don't take down Goliath with anything you think that they can. You take down Goliath 
with faith. And I know, it sounds like, mm, you'll see. See, this is a war of titans, a spy versus spy. Spy fall, spy fall, spy fall. Right now, we have given so much money to Ukraine and no one's talking about it. And it's the INR that did most of it. But you know, speaking of the INR, I think it's important that people remember this. And this is quite interesting. Not like 9-11 had anything to do with this, right? At the division of the INR, where Madeline Albright was like, I don't know where the laptop went. It just totally disappeared. What do you mean, Tori? What laptop? Well, we'll get into that another time. But maybe you should watch this clip from the year 2000, before 9-11. Good afternoon. This is inexcusable and intolerable. Such failures put our nation's secrets at risk. They also damage the department's reputation and that of its employees, the vast majority of whom take their security responsibilities very seriously. The incident happened. Do you have reason to believe that we're now going to So today I want to reiterate to every employee in every office, in every bureau and diplomatic post, security must be your top priority in all its aspects all the time. Um, I have some statements uh, on other subjects unless you have any. We don't have a direction yet, but given the extreme nature of this uh, information and sensitivity of this information, obviously an intensive effort is being made to try to determine what happened. Wouldn't the laptop uh, require passwords that... I'm so sorry. I had my sound off. I apologize. So as I was saying, let me elaborate on the INR, the Bureau of Intelligence, and now they've added, and research, is an intelligence agency, as you understand, within the United States Department of State. You know, obviously Pompeo, CIA, and then he went to the State Department. And he let all the careers do their job. But anyway, let's continue. And, you know, sometimes doing nothing and allowing someone to dance allows you to trip them later, you know. But anyway, the INR collects, analyzes, and disseminates intelligence on various topics, including political, economic, and military developments around the world. The analysts they have draw information from a wide range of sources, including open source materials, classified intelligence reports, and um, I guess you would say diplomatic cables, <laughs> you know, the ones that are on WikiLeaks. Oh, yeah. So they produce intelligence reports and briefings that help support U.S. foreign policies. They don't shape the policies, right? They create in intelligence to support it and make sure it's done. So the INR collaborates very closely with the CIA, the NSA, the DNI, all of them, all U.S. intelligence agencies and foreign counterparts like Five Eyes, Nine Eyes, Fourteen Eyes, right? And experts in academia, of course, and think tanks to ensure comprehensive and accurate analyses. Those types of assessments cover broad spectrum global issues um, and regional conflicts, terrorism, and guess what? They do shit called negotiations. So let me introduce you to um, uh, something that I haven't spoken about and I'm going to briefly touch on. I don't want to talk about it yet. How's that? 
So in the case of Miles Guo, I have been watching this like nobody's business. Um, I went to his event um, this past weekend. And I want you guys to understand what's really happening. This guy is anti-CCP. He has all the money in the world. He could have just went somewhere and had my ties. He came to the United States and uh, had asylum here as he cannot be sent back to China. But right now, the United States needs bargaining chips. And at this point, they've arrested someone that has requested sanctuary within our nation and confiscated monies because, listen to this, this is how they do it. So I remember when I did, um, when I was trying to put together an event, uh, you know, it was the first time I did it. I was super way over my head. But, you know, I, I was able to pull it off. But, you know, when you're doing it on your own, you know, you um, kind of like, you know, you do things that are completely legal, but they can be misconstrued as not. Like, for example, I didn't have a debit card from my business account, which doesn't matter if I use my business or personal. I wasn't making money off of it, right? The ledgers speak for themselves. And, you know, I used $300 for entertainment, but I had funded that account with $500 to cover that entertainment. And because I didn't have the other debit card, and yet they still painted it like I defrauded $300 that were fucking mine. So here in the case of Miles Guo, they took the money that he had in his businesses, you know, he paid it out of one, got it through another, did whatever, and they nailed him saying the same thing. And so now they've arrested Miles Guo, who is anti-CCP. And this has been a political tactic in order to pacify the CCP. And I will speak more to it as I'm still delving on the investigators because the question is what ticked off this investigation? Because I'm pretty sure that we may find communications with the CCP requesting his arrest. Actually, I'm very confident on that. Confident on that. And so while he's in jail now that he's been arrested after they confiscated everything on bullshit, where ledgers would meet and, 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 and make sense. It's, and I'm bringing my stupid example, right? Which you can see, I put $500 of Solaris in there, money, right? And I spent 300, that was mine. And no account was for anything on the event, they were all my accounts. And yet they were able to paint that picture. They're doing the same thing. This guy is a billionaire. So they're doing the same thing to him. So I want you guys to, Take a listen to the rest of this Ukraine thing and then think, how is the CCP tied to this? That's how Ukraine captured the Kharkiv region in September and the major city of Kherson in November. And by then, a new phase was beginning. In winter 2023, both sides were planning new attacks. Russia was gearing up to push further into the Donetsk and Luhansk regions. But Ukraine also wanted to take back territory, particularly in the south. In order to do this, Ukraine would need to move troops quickly, which requires armored vehicles, like tanks, something it had been asking for for months. Some countries had sent older models of tanks, but just like with artillery, the U.S. waited. They wanted the Germans to act first by sending Leopard battle tanks. The Germans were waiting for the United States to give them some political pop cover here. A little bit of a game of chicken. Finally, in January 2023, the U.K. and then the U.S. agreed to send their advanced tanks prompting Germany and several allies to follow with their best battle tanks. 
Just like with anti-tank missiles and HIMARS before, the US and its allies are hoping that these tanks can push Ukraine to win some decisive victories in this phase, which is where we are now. If the Ukrainians kind of can't turn the tide, turn the balance right now, it's, it's going to be tricky to see you know, how this doesn't go into its, an extended stalemate. That's why Ukraine is still asking for fighter jets. F-16s could protect Ukraine's tanks from Russian aircraft, making their attack much more powerful. Ukraine has also been asking the U.S. for long-range missiles, called ATACMS, which it could use to strike Russian positions as far as 300 kilometers behind their lines. Already a few allies are in favor of sending these weapons, but as of this video, the U.S. is hesitating over familiar concerns. Questions about their, their readiness for, for trading on those. Also, of course, you know, just, just the question again, how far are the Ukrainians going to fire these things? So far, none of the decisions to send any of these weapons has inspired Russia to escalate. And in March, Poland and Slovakia agreed to send some of their older fighter jets, making the eventual approval of F-16s or long-range missiles more of a possibility. But after giving Ukraine over $46 billion in military aid, public opinion in the U.S. is changing. A recent Pew Research poll showed the portion of people who believe the U.S. has sent too much aid to Ukraine has grown, particularly on the right. Biden facing a lot of pressure, not only within his party, but of course uh, from Republican rivals getting ready for the 2024 debate stage. That's going to make it much more difficult for President Biden to sustain this clip. And even if Biden maintains popular support to send weapons, he might not have enough. A recent analysis found that certain supplies may be approaching the minimal level that the U.S. requires for its own war planning. It's why the U.S. is now focusing on ways to increase production of weapons at home, in allied countries and in Ukraine. But just building those plants could take years. One year of U.S. and allied support has helped transform the Ukrainian army into a formidable force, whose soldiers have repeatedly held its ground against a much larger Russian army. But with both the battlefield and U.S. politics changing, the questions now are how well is Ukraine going to fight with what they have, and how much more U.S. help can they count on? Intelligence is designed to give a policymaker, in particular the president. Intelligence is designed to give a policymaker, in particular the president, an edge to give him information that isn't available anywhere else that will help inform policy decisions. There's human intelligence, which is basically running agents, finding people who can tell you what you need to know. There's signals intelligence, which is designed to intercept conversations. Another key type of intelligence is satellite imagery or geospatial. Intelligence operations are clandestine activities designed to gain access to something that someone else wants to keep hidden. It can be organizing an operation to infiltrate a facility, perhaps a military installation, or it could be to infiltrate a group, or it could be to recruit a human asset. There are basically two different levels of intelligence, tactical and strategic. Tactical is what's going to happen, when is it going to happen, how can the U.S. government take action. Strategic is more trying to put something into the broader context. On the 9-11 case, the intelligence community largely got the strategic warning correct, but they didn't get the tactical, the how and the when of the attack. The intelligence cycle starts with requirements. You're trying to figure out what do you need to know. The second stage would be collection. Which potential source is likely to bring the best information available? In most cases, it's going to be more than one source. The next step is prioritization and exploitation. Far more intelligence is usually collected that can be processed. What piece do you want to exploit for further examination? 
Then it goes to analysis, and that's where you're trying to figure out what does this mean? Why did this happen? And then finally, it gets disseminated to a policymaker. Policymakers, right? Policymakers. Well, before we continue that, let's take a look at this. What does this mean? And that's where our values and morals are. And right on, President Bush. Thank okay. you very much. Thank you. Peter Finn has the story from Moscow. Delegation led by U.S. senators detained briefly at a Russian airport, focusing on Senator Richard Lugar, who's the chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, and Senator Barack Obama, who's uh, the Democrat on that Foreign Relations Committee. From the Washington Post, a U.S. delegation led by Senator Lugar was detained Sunday for three hours at an airport in Russia before being allowed to leave the country for Ukraine. Russian border guards at the airport in the Siberian city of Perm demanded that they be allowed to search the U.S. government aircraft carrying the delegation that also included Senator Obama. Senator Luger said it's always unbelievable. It can be a dysfunctional government with reference to the Russian government. U.S. officials in Moscow and Washington intervened and Russian authorities were able to secure the group's departure. After the visiting Ukraine, they went on to Azerbaijan. Next call is Frederick, Maryland. Good morning. So Barack Hussein Obama and Luger, <laughs> the biolabs, right? They were in Russia and needed to go over to Ukraine and they were detained. They knew. It was just like everybody else did. They knew. But, you know, people forget. Remember the Luger labs? <laughs> What's there to say? Right? What's there to say? Well, let's continue on this intelligence analysis thing. Let's continue. Intelligence officers are not policymakers. They collect this information, they analyze it, they then give it to policymakers, and the policymakers make the decisions. Yeah, you better remember that. Policymakers. And our intelligence works for the policymakers. Well, let's listen about these policymakers for a second. Thank you. Well, good afternoon, everybody. It is wonderful to be back. Uh, Secretary Panetta, thank you for the introduction. Uh, last week at the White House, we had our first cabinet meeting uh, since the election, uh, and it was uh, a chance for me to thank my entire team for their service, uh, for keeping our country safe and strong these past four years. Uh, and Leon, few have done uh, more than you uh, in that regard. Uh, and that includes taking care of our remarkable men and women in uniform. And, the and making sure that 2030 does come to fruition by 2016. Their families uh, and keeping our military the absolute best in the world, bar none. So thank you, Leon, for being such an outstanding Secretary of Defense. We're very grateful. Now, I am not here to give a big speech. Uh, I wanted to just come by and join you in marking the 20th anniversary of one of the country's smartest and most successful national security programs, non Luger. And I want to express my gratitude to all of you uh, from government, academia, NGOs, and our partners around the world. People in this room conceived it. You built it, you've sustained it. And of course, I especially want to acknowledge uh, a leader who uh, helped create it and who now helps guide it as our outstanding Deputy Secretary of Defense, Ash Carter. So thank you, Ash, for your great work. 
course, no one's done more than the two visionaries on this stage. Now you have to think about what real visionaries do. They, they look at the world and they see what's missing. So they set out to fill the gap, to build something new. And that's what Sam Nunn and Dick Luger did many years ago. They challenged us to think anew, to imagine, after decades of confrontation, how our nations might engage in cooperation. Early in the Cold War, Einstein warned of the danger of our wisdom not keeping pace with our technology. And with Nunn Luger, our wisdom began to catch up. I also wanted to be here because of my own personal debt to these two leaders. You know, when I was, in, uh, when I was elected to the Senate, uh, Sam Nunn uh, was one of the first leaders I called. Uh, obviously, he had an extraordinary reputation uh, for his work uh, on a whole range of issues in the Senate. Uh, and, and Sam, by the way, I, I should, I always meant to say thanks for taking my call. Um, so, so he, he, we'd, you know, do small talk. He congratulates me on being elected. And uh, then he says, uh, I got two pieces of advice for you. First piece of advice, uh, get a seat on the Foreign Relations Committee. I did that. Uh, second piece of advice, learn from Dick Luger. I did that too. Uh, so I took Sam advice, uh, Sam's advice then, and as president, uh, I continue to value uh, his advice and his counsel. Uh, Sam, as one of uh, the so-called four horsemen, uh, which I say is a pretty ominous uh, nickname, um, uh, has spoken out for a world without nuclear weapons. Uh, and with your uh, nuclear threat initiative, you helped us ratify the New START Treaty. Uh, rally the world to secure nuclear materials, strengthen the global nonproliferation regime, and create an international fuel bank for peaceful nuclear power. Uh, Sam, that's an extraordinary legacy and an extraordinary record. Thank you for your partnership and your leadership. And because I took Sam's advice, uh, I came to know and admire Dick Luger. Uh, I was a new junior senator, but nevertheless, uh, he was willing to uh, take me in and uh, served, uh, in many cases, particularly on the issues that we're celebrating here today, uh, took me in as a pupil uh, for him. I watched and I learned, uh, and when we worked together to pass a law to speed up the lockdown of nuclear materials, uh, obviously it was called Luger Obama, in that order. Um, and Dick, I want to uh, take this opportunity to say something else. Uh, at times, we've disagreed on matters of policy. Uh, but one thing we've always shared uh, is a notion of what public service should be, uh, that it ought to be more than just doing what's popular in the moment, that it ought to be about what's right for our nation over the long term. It ought to be about problem solving and governance, uh, not uh, just uh, how we can score political points on each other uh, or engage in obstructionism. And uh, where compromise is not a vice and where bipartisanship is actually considered a virtue, uh, to be rewarded, not punished, uh, that's uh, the essence of these two gentlemen, and that's the essence of Nunn Luger. That's the spirit that's defined Dick's public service for nearly 50 years. 
Uh, and that's the bipartisan tradition that we need more of here in Washington, especially uh, on foreign policy. So, Dick, as you prepare to leave uh, the Senate that you love, uh, I think I speak on behalf of everybody here and uh, millions of people across the country to say that uh, your legacy uh, will endure in a safer and more secure world and a safer and more secure America. Uh, and uh, we pray that uh, this nation produces more leaders with your sense of decency and civility uh, and integrity. We are grateful to you. Thank you very much. I think we need to like say, okay, bye. But see, everything has contacts, right? The INR is the source of all of this. All the policies, all the labs, all the patient stuff, everything has to do with that. And you know, we also have to blame our media. Our media wants allegedly to do the right thing. They're supposedly supposed to inform us, right? This is all there. But you know, when there's when you're looking at a clock, right, and you're looking at the gears that make it go, you could throw wrenches in some cogs and nothing will happen, right? It'll circle and maybe get stuck, maybe crack it. You got to find the right and hone in onto the right place. Right now, what we have seen is a fourth unelected branch of government, a well-oiled machine that was threatened by the people. And once you hit that little linchpin, it's game over. And that is what everyone should be focusing on, the linchpins. We should be focusing on targeting specific causes, specific things to break the system. You know how I did the mask mandate, and I'm going to do a whole, you know, show on this. But Texas also did. And Texas even though I'm still in the Sixth Circuit, Texas won the Fifth Circuit and they already got, yes, you as a parent can defend the rights of your kids. That's key. That just became case law. Sixth Circuit will do it, case law. It's game over. They can't come for our kids now because we can represent them on our own now. Now we have to target the elections. And as discussed with Jason Sullivan, you know, we need to make sure on that. We have all these people talking about the 2020. We missed that train because people wanted to make money. People wanted to make money, make videos, show you how fraudulent it is. When That was completely unnecessary. Because we had it all. I mean, I gave it to them all in 2017, 2018, 2019, and 2020. And we need to target the elections. We need to target the INR. We need to target the way they move. We need to target the J6 committee. Those are the targets that we should have. But save the children. Yeah, we should be talking about that. We should have people creating the content for that. We should be having those conversations. But the fuck, you're not going to do anything if you don't have the capability of placing the people in office that will fix it, okay? That's the problem, right? You're going down all these fucking stupid rabbit holes, oh, you know, so-and-so, and then nobody gives a shit because you're not going to fix it. You don't fix it like that. That's not how you fix shit. You're going there, what, to polish off a hand on a clock? 
You need to be laser focused. And that's the problem we have. We have the most scattered media. President Trump has just been elevated to, you know, saint status, right? He's done. He's a martyr. And, and the thing is, he's already won. That was his campaign. And DeSantis and all the idiots that are supporting DeSantis, like Tracy Beans, oh, she's a GOP whore, just like the majority of your fucking media is. Mark Levin, I had a fight with him in 2016 publicly. I told him that all he's going to do is fucking lynch on like a fucking grifter that he is, right, with his eloquent grifting, of course, and sell books and attach himself to Trump until it's time to jump off that train. And hey, there it is. And all these people jumping off the Trump train are all GOP whores. And they're feeding the alligator, hoping that they're going to be eaten last. I don't want to feed the alligator. I want to starve it. I want to take it out. I want to get rid of it. Self-preservation, you know, there's a lot of people that are clout chasers. I don't know, money chasers. I mean, (laughs) and people still can't fathom the fact. And, you know, I think the feds are too. Shit, this bitch is not getting paid by anyone. Actually, my employer is the people. And I think that pisses them off more. Pisses them off more. But the thing is, when you find people with values, you hold on to them. When you find value in what you're doing, you do it. And that's a problem that we have. There aren't any people that are focusing on the value of the content that they put out, the energy that they expend for these things, right? That's the big problem. So we need to be laser focused. We got the ability to represent our kids while moms for fucking America were fucking sucking up thousands, thousands and thousands, tens, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And they were hiring lawyers to do what? To tell the truth? We already knew they were getting paid to mask the kids. We needed the rights to represent our kids. That's what's the problem. Everyone wants to throw money into it. Remember that grifter, Ash in America? Do you remember her? She was in our groups. She went in, she went to Mike Lindell, and I'm going to talk about her on Twitter space too. Told him that she went around the nation and created the groups that you guys are in. Sold that idea, was being paid a quarter million dollars a year to pretend to do, you know, calls to action for Lindell. But none of you participated because they were stupid calls to action because she's not in it. And then Ash, now she's at Badlands Media, for that guy named, what is his name? Patel Patriot, who calls himself Patel Patriot because he's so thirsty. He wants to be like, hey, Cash, look at me. Cash can't stand his ass, right? And so, you know, they're all fucking circle jerking grifters, right? And even, and I'm going to say this on the Twitter space, and I'd love for him to challenge it, but he even tells people, if you work for Badlands Media, you can't mention Dory. <laughs> Why? Because you'll get burnt. See, truth burns. Light burns, right? Light burns. That's the way it is. When people block in silence, it's because they get burnt. Because people that have been put through the fire, they're walking fireballs. See, Trump is a walking fireball. Anything you throw at him, he consumes, gives zero fucks. And that's the way it is. And so all these people, uh, you know what? We're going to have this Twitter space today. I'm definitely doing it tonight because I am so salty. More so, more so. 
because we wouldn't be in this position if we had come to the table together. And that's why I like Joe Ullman. He's like, why aren't we getting to the table together? No shit, man. That's exactly it. Why aren't we all sitting down at the table? I don't give a fuck who you are. I could not like you at all. It doesn't matter. We need to sit at the table and share information and fix this. But none of them want to fix it. They just want to be the first ones. They just want to make money. That's all they care about. And then look, I'm going to destroy every single one of you. And it's not me as in Tori, but me as in light. Light isn't very fun. You know, cockroaches, they run. If you're a cockroach that has balls, you just sit in that bitch, you'll get squashed. And that's the way it is. Right now, we have people chasing their tails. They're going after, oh, look what Biden's doing. Nobody really cares. Stop. Okay? He's not even the president. He pretends to be the president. And yes, on a global scale, he's considered that. But when you, <laughs> when you start focusing on shit that makes no sense, that doesn't help us as a nation and claim to, that's a problem. So what we all need to do is put aside our differences and have conversations. Don't bring up shit that's 10 years old, five years old, six years old, because it could have been done then, okay? Don't, you know, apologize to your audience for having the CIA asset Cindy Schaaf in there. What about Bob Burgers that they're making look like a hero, but he's actually a CIA asset, CAA, CIA, but whatever, right? See, these are the things that people need to be paying attention to how things are put out and how they're done. But we'll have that conversation today on Twitter in regards to our media and how we can discern it. It'll be, I don't know, Grifter 101, because they call me a grifter because they hate the fact that you guys got me a car. That was the best birthday of my life. For me, my 43rd was that, you know, golden year. You know how people have like 40s and, and, and 50-year-old birthdays? And for me, it was 43. And I appreciate you guys like no other. In the meantime, all of you should be just focusing on those things. The right to represent your kids, which is key. The elections, which is key. And destroying the intelligence unit that has caused all this. See, there's one person that we can tie, one person that we can tie to the Russia hoax and to the Ukraine debacle right now. One person. And that's the person I want a hearing on. So I won't name them. One person linked to all of that. Overseeing and promoting all of that. See, those are the targets. Those are the laser-focused things that we should be looking at. Obviously, we thump and we talk about other things. But that should be your focus. And don't forget, it's the president's birthday next week on June 14th. It's going to be a lit show. On the 13th, I'll be traveling, but the 14th and the 13th, you guys may see me. I may join, um, you know, a stream of someone's. So I'll let you know if that happens. But on the 14th, it's going to be a pretty lit day and it's flag day. So don't forget to put your flags out. It's President Trump's birthday. Don't forget to send him a birthday card and um, don't blame others for things that are happening. Blame yourself for not using discernment. And discernment is a, is, is a key topic we should get into. So today was just an introduction to show you just how corrupt the INR is before we got it completely with names and faces. Names and faces. I'm uh, sincerely apologizing 
for not having my Brendan and Clapper video out. Um, I am trying. I just, I never thought that it would be so much work um, to get all these people for my daughter's wedding here. And um, it's been really hard. And and I hope you guys, um, I you know, maybe it's, it's, you know, God picks the time, not me. So I'm just going to go with that, right? I'm just going to go with that. Now, there's this video that I saw that was, um, it, it's called Inspired by Source. It's uh, titled, Universe Delivers Big Time When You Simply Don't Give a Fuck. So I'd like you guys to watch this. <laughs> I would like you guys to watch this because it's like a 10-minute outro, I guess, for you. Um because it's kind of interesting and kind of schnazzy. So please enjoy this, because the more fucks you don't give, the less they can affect you. Here we are, wanting you to understand who you are. You are source energy, and you were source energy before you came into this body. But the thing that most of you do not realize is that you were source energy before you came into this body, and the larger part of you still is. And that larger part of you is tending that vibrational reality that you have been creating all of the days of this physical life experience and even before. The intentions that you held are held as a vibrational basis. There's a vibrational basis of everything. And that's what man wants to call source. That's what man wants to call God. It is the culmination of all of that positive becoming over all of the beingness that we all have been or our being so that non-physical part of you exists and it has a point of attraction now by that point of attraction what we mean is that that you is offering a vibration and law of attraction is responding to that vibration and since that vibration is all about love and all about what you are desiring it's a point of attraction that is only what you would call positive here you are focused in your own right in your own personality thinking about things talking about things talking to people noticing things remembering things imagining things past present future your mind's all over the place just as you knew it would be and in all of that thinking that you are doing blessed deliberate and sometimes not focused and sometimes not physical creators you are finding vibrational harmony or not with that source energy that is you so when you launched the rocket that asked for more prosperity more prosperity is being summoned to that vibrational point of you but if you are not feeling happy about the idea of prosperity if you are doubting it or suffering in and not enough of it if you're focused upon the absence of it then without meaning to you are holding yourself in vibrational discord with your own creation and this is something that we want you to understand because that is the only thing that ever gives you negative emotion you think it's what somebody else is doing that one's driving me crazy that one is immoral that one is doing wrong things that one is bad in this way or this way or this way but what's really happening is whenever you feel negative emotion you are out of vibrational sync with who you have become it's important to understand that you will always be we will all always be in the state of perpetual becoming you cannot hold it back so in continuing with Jerry's question and passionate desire about how 
thoughts are actually turned to things we want you to understand these things you live in a vibrational universe and you are vibrational beings and everything around you is too which means you are broadcasting a signal which you can control but you've got to have some sense of what the control is in other words do you gather together in large groups and take a consensus and then do that that's not working out very well is it ask the Republicans or the Democrats they're all failing at it go into any church or synagogue is that the answer well while there are nice things to be experienced there as they pit themselves against one another claiming the only right doing that's not the answer to alignment that's not what you came to experience you came knowing that there would be diversity that there would be a lot of difference around you and you blessed that idea because you knew that out of it would come your clarity of what you the creator chooses to create in this meaningful life experience that is you so you were born with this sensitivity these senses to translate vibration your eyes translate vibration that's why you see vibrational interpretation eyes ears nose fingertips tongue all vibrational interpreters but you have an emotional center that is your true vibrational interpreter because that interprets the variance between the source that you were when you were born and that you have added to ever since that source energy God being that you are that vibration and the vibration of you for example you've asked for much more money and that non-physical part of you stands in utter prosperity with endless knowledge about avenues for you to realize to turn those vibrations into dollars you said to us all right Abraham we accept that there's a vortex all right all right all right all right all right how do we get our money out of the vortex and into the bank and we're going to talk about that all day here today how do you get what you desire what you have created how do you turn it to something that is tangible for you how do you make it manifest how do you make it actualize how do you get to see it how do you get to enjoy it fully and should you the answer to that is unequivocally yes you've come to create you have come to turn your thoughts to things you have come to experience the reality of this magnificent time and place so once you accept that you are a vibrational being and once you accept that your emotions are letting you know the vibrational variance or harmony between what you've become and what you're doing right here now you're off and running now you have guidance that will serve you all day every day we want you to know that the source within you not only knows and literally has become the liver of all that you've asked for well i thought it was important for people to understand what we mean by speaking it into reality it's a little bit woo but i think praying read your bible your quran your torah whatever direction you wish just pray to God and that is the best currency and you will come through on the other side I mean other than that cocaine Mitch is gonna be having problems so I guess that's the best song to do right now cocaine Mitch let's go with cocaine Billy cocaine I like that on that note God bless have a fantastic weekend and remember how are you the underdog you're the one in charge you just don't see it yet <laughs>